Good morning, and welcome to Jewish Facts and Jewish Faith. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten, and this morning I want to tell you a story. It's a story from the book of Genesis, and many of you will know the story. But I want to share it with you in a particularly Jewish way. And I think as the story develops, and as my telling develops, you'll see what makes this a particularly Jewish telling of a very well-known biblical story. This is the story of Isaac and Abraham, as found in chapter 22 of the book of Genesis. This is a strange tale. It's about fear and faith, fear and defiance, fear and laughter. Terrifying and content, it has become a source of consolation to those who, in retelling it, make it part of their own experience. Here is a story that contains Jewish destiny in its totality. Just as the flame is contained in the single spark by which it comes to life, every major theme, every passion and obsession that makes Judaism the adventure that it is can be traced back to this story. Man's anguish when he finds himself face to face with God, his quest for purity and purpose, the conflict of having to choose between dreams of the past and dreams of the future, between absolute faith and absolute justice, between the need to obey God's will and to rebel against it, between one's yearnings for freedom and one's yearnings for sacrifice, one's desire to justify hope and despair with words and with silence, the same words and the same silence used for both. It is all found in chapter 22 of the book of Genesis. As a literary composition, this tale, known in Hebrew as the Akedah, the binding, is unmatched in scripture, austere and powerful. Its every word reverberates into infinity, evoking suspense and drama, uncovering a whole mood based on a before and continuing into after culminating in a climax that endows its characters with another dimension. These characters are human and more, forceful and real, and despite the metaphysical implications, they are very real. At every step, their condition remains relevant and of burning gravity. This very ancient story is still our own, and we shall continue to be bound to it in the most intimate way. We do not know it on a daily basis, but every one of us at one time or another, every one of us who calls themselves a person of faith, is called to play one of the characters in this story. 
Are we Abraham or are we Isaac? Let's reread the text. But perhaps with a little modification. Once upon a time, there lived a man for all seasons, blessed with all talents and virtues, deserving of every grace. His name was Abraham, and his mission was to serve as God's messenger among men too vain and blind to recognize God's glory. Jewish tradition rates him higher than Moses, whose law he ostensibly observed, higher than even Adam, whose errors God asked him to correct. Who was this man, Abraham, the first enemy of idolatry? the first angry young man, the first rebel to rise up against the establishment, society, and authority, the first to demystify official taboos and suspend ritual prohibitions, the first to reject the civilization in which he found himself in order to form a minority of one, the first believer in Adonai, the first one to suffer for his belief. Alone against the world, he declared himself free. Alone against the world, he braved the fire and the mob at Sodom and Gomorrah, affirming that God is one and present wherever God's name is invoked. That one is the secret and the beginning of all that exists in heaven and on earth. And that God's secret coincides with that of humanity. And yet, notwithstanding his total faith in God and his justice, the text tells us of his kindness as well. He did not for a moment hesitate to take God to task as he tried to save two condemned cities from destruction, Sodom and Gomorrah. How can you, he asked of God, embody injustice and be unjust? He was the first who dared query God, and God listened and answered. For unlike Job, Abraham was protesting on behalf of others, not of himself. God forgave Abraham everything, including his questions. God is God in the text, and Abraham was his faithful servant. One was sure of the other to test his will and vision. God made him leave the security of his father's home in Genesis 12. Lech lecha me'ertzacha leave your land, your father's home. God made him challenge rulers and engage their armies in battle, endure hunger and exile, disgrace and fire. Yet his trust in God was never shaken. So loyal was he to God that he was rewarded with a son who became symbol and bearer of grace and benediction for generations to come. Then one day, as Genesis 22 tells us, God decided to test him once more. According to Jewish tradition, this would be the tenth and last time Abraham would be tested. The text is clear It says, take your son and bring him to me as an offering. The text, the Hebrew text uses the Hebrew word olah, which means an offering that has been totally consumed. 
And Abraham complied without an argument, without questioning, or even trying to understand, without trying to stall, without a word to anyone, not even his wife Sarah, without a tear. The text simply says he waited for the next morning and left the house before she was awake. He saddled his Duncan, he accompanied by his son and two stir- servants, started on the road to Moriah. And after a three-day journey, father and son left the servants and donkey behind and began their ascent of the mountain. When they reached the top, they erected an altar and prepared for the ritual. Everything was ready. The wood and the knife and the fire. According to the text, the slaughter and victim looked into each other's eyes and for one moment... All of creation held its breath. The same fear penetrated the father and the son. A midrash, a story which seeks to explain the inexplicable part of the text, describes Isaac's fear. It says, stretched out on the altar, his wrists and ankles bound. Isaac saw the temple in Jerusalem first destroyed and then rebuilt. And at that moment of the supreme test, the Midrash tells us Isaac understood that what was happening to him would happen to others, that this was to be a tale without end, an experience to be endured by his children and theirs. Never would his descendants be despaired the torture The father's anguish, on the other hand, was not linked to the future by sacrificing his son to obey God's will. Abraham knew that he was, in fact, sacrificing his knowledge of God and his faith in God. If Isaac were to die, to whom would the father transmit his faith? Who would he transmit his knowledge The end of Isaac would connote the end of a prodigious adventure. The first would become the last. One cannot conceive of a more crushing or devastating anguish for a father. I shall have lived, suffered, and caused others to suffer for nothing. The Midrash rages these important questions for us. And as often happens, does not give us an answer. And you know that the miracle took place. Death was defeated, tragedy averted, the blade that could have cut the line and prevented the people of Israel from being born was halted and suspended. But we know that that is not the end of the story for the Jewish people. As a child, I read and reread this tale, my heart beating wildly. I often felt dark apprehension come over me and carry me far away. There was so little understanding to me as a youth of these three characters. Why would God, the merciful father, demand that Abraham become inhuman? And why would Abraham accept? And Isaac, perhaps the model of all teenagers, why did he submit so meekly? 
not having received a direct order to let himself be sacrificed, why did he meekly walk up that mountain with his father? I could not understand. If God needs human suffering to be God, how can man foresee an end to that suffering? And if faith in God must result in self-denial, how can faith claim to elevate and improve humanity? Serious questions. Questions that the Jewish people have been asking for a long time. These were painful questions, especially for an adolescent, because they did not fit into the framework of the sin-punishment concept to which all religions thought had accustomed us. There is a Midrash, one of these ancient stories, that says, why was Abraham tested on Mount Moriah? And it answers, because... He favored his son Isaac over his eldest Ishmael. That's it. That was the answer. Now, this hypothesis of the Midrash has the merit of justifying the order that Abraham received from God and which otherwise might have seemed incomprehensible. You remember how Genesis 22 begins, God said to Abraham, Kachna et bincha et gechidacha asher ahavta et Yitzhak. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and bring him to me as an olah, sacrifice. The Midrash says, only son? But that's a mistake. What about Ishmael, forgotten by Abraham? Was he equally forgotten by God? To introduce the possibility of guilt of the father towards his eldest son, a guilt that carries its own punishment, we have but to change the emphasis of the sentence, says the Midrash. Kachna et bincha, take your son... And then the Hebrew doesn't have a comma, but if we add one, et yechidacha asher ahavta, the only one that you love Isaac and bring him to me, the term yechidacha, the only one, would no longer be contrary to the facts. But you know, in telling this story to a young man, I was rarely concerned with punctuation. I was always asking the question, why? Why did this happen? Why did this story take place? And you know that for most of Jewish experience, those questions have been asked over and over again. And one began to wonder, since God, and he loved one another, Abraham and God loved one another so much and collaborated so closely between their finding of each other in Genesis 12 and the test that begins in Genesis 22, why these ordeals and tortures? Ah, you might answer, because God tests only the weak, only the strong. The weak do not resist or resist poorly. They are of no consequence. 
But then what good is it to resist since God knows the outcome in advance? Answer, God knows, man does not. Most commentators of the Jewish tradition assume that God was test- Abraham was tested for his own good to serve as an example to the peoples of the world and to earn him their leader's reverence, also to harden him, to waken in him the awareness of his own strength and potential. Of course, this does not satisfy everyone. The idea that suffering is good for the Jews is one that owes its popularity mostly to the people amongst whom we have lived. And indeed, there is another explanation, though not a very original one, that brings into the picture an old acquaintance, always present in moments of crisis and doubt. The Hebrew is Satan, Satan, source of all Hebrew evil, supreme tempter, the easy, glib answer, the scapegoat in Jewish tradition, the crafty gambler, the unabashed liar, the servant who conveniently carries out the master's dirty work, accepting all blame and anathema in his place, the sacrifice of Isaac, you know, according to Jewish Midrash, God had nothing to do with it. It was all Satan's doing. God did not want this test. God, Satan demanded it. The inhuman game was Satan's scheme, and he bears full responsibility. Satan, the ideal alibi, and just as he did with Job, who is frequently compared to Abraham for more than one reason in the Midrash, Satan used to gossip and distort and embellish history. One story tells us, one Midrash tells us on his return from an inspection tour on earth, he handed his report to the Almighty while telling him his impressions. Thus he came to a surprise visit with Abraham, who was celebrating the birth of his beloved son Isaac, Rejoicing, the Midrash tells us, sumptuous meals, public festivity. Satan did not spare the superlatives as usual. And do you know, he said to God, do you know that your faithful servant Abraham has forgotten you? It was a question that Satan put to God. In the Midrash, it says, yes, indeed, his good fortune has gone to his head. He forgot to set aside an offering for you. He thought only of his personal joy, as though it did not come from you. He fed all his guests, yet he neglected to offer you the youngest of his sheep, if only as a modest token of his gratitude. God was not convinced in this story. He answered, no, no, you're wrong to suspect my faithful Abraham. He is devoted to me. He loves me. He would give me all that he possesses, God says. He would give me his son were I to ask him. Really, said Satan, are you sure? I'm not. And God was provoked and felt compelled to accept the challenge. The rest, the rest of the story, as they say, can be found in the scripture. Biblical narrative is an exemplary purity of line, sobriety, and terseness. Not one useless gesture, 
The imagery is striking, the language austere, the dialogue so incisive it leaves one with a knot in one's throat. And so hear that midrash in your head. Are you sure I'm not? And God was provoked and felt compelled to accept the challenge. And the text begins in 22. And sometime after, after what? The midrash asked. After God and Satan had talked. God put Abraham to the test and he said to Abraham. And Abraham answered, here am I. And God said, take your son, your favored one, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the heights, which I will point out to you. This time in the text, Abraham did not answer. Here I am, Hineni. He did not answer at all. He went home, lay down, and fell asleep. He awoke, started his journey. The end of three days, during which he never said a word. He saw the appointed place in the distance. He halted and instructed the servants, you stay here with the ass, text says. The boy and I will go up there and we will worship and we will return to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and gave it to his son Isaac. He himself took the firestone and the knife and the two walked away together. You know, I'm always struck as I read this that the last sentence seems to be the most important. One went to face death and the other to give it, but they went together, still close to one another, though everything already separated them. God was waiting for them, the text says, and they were going toward him together. But then Isaac, who until that moment had not opened his mouth in this story, turned to his father and uttered a single word. Avi, father. And for the second time, Abraham answered, this time not to God, but to his son, Hineni, here I am. Was it because of the silence that followed this painfully hushed affirmation? Isaac began to feel uneasy. He wanted to be assured, or at least understand. And Isaac says in the text, here is the firestone and the wood, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Embarrassed, suddenly shy, Abraham tried to equivocate. God will see to the sheep for his burnt offering, my son. And the text tells us again, the two of them walked on together. The march continued, the two of them alone in the world, encircled by God's unfathomable design. But the text tells us they were together. Now the repetition renders a new sound while adding to the dramatic intensity of the narrative. Isaac began to guess, to understand, and then he knew. And the father and son remained united. Together they reached the top of the mountain. Together they erected the altar. Together they prepared the wood and the fire and everything was ready. Nothing was missing and Isaac lay on the altar silently gazing at his father. The text continues. Abraham picked up the knife to slay his son. Then an angel of God called to him from heaven, Avram, Avram. And he answered, here, Nani. 
And for the third time, he answered in Hebrew, here I am. I am the same, the same person who answered your first call. I answer your call, whatever its nature, and even were it to change, I would not. You know, the end of this story. You know that Abraham is saved. You know that a, ram, that a sacrifice took place. A ram was slaughtered and burned in its stead. But there are so many questions. So many questions that remained. At the end of the text, we read, Vayeshev Avram el Na'arav. And Abraham returned to his servants. Note the singular. Vayeshev, he returned, he, Abraham alone. And Isaac? Where was Isaac? Why was he not with his father at this text? What happened to him? Are we to understand that the father and son who went up the mountain together were no longer together? That the experience they just shared had separated them only after the event? That Isaac, unlike Abraham, was no longer the same person? That the real Isaac remained there on the altar? So many questions. This is a story that needs to end with a quick midrash. So listen to it. As Abraham journeyed toward Moriah, an old man before, appeared before him. It was Satan in disguise. He asked, where are you going to pray? Said Abraham, with a knife, with a firestone and wood? Nobody goes to pray like that. Well, Abraham explained, we may be delayed a day or two. We then would have to slaughter a lamb, place it on a fire to feed ourselves. It is best to be prepared. Thereupon, Satan dropped his mask and said, poor old man with your poor old tales. Do you think you can fool me? Don't you know I was present when the order was given? Abraham did not reply. Satan continued shouting, tell me, old man, have you lost your mind? Have you emptied your heart of all human feeling? Will you really sacrifice your son given to you at the age of 100? Yes, said Abraham, I shall. But tomorrow, old fool, he will demand more sacrifices, more cruel yet. Will you be able to perform them too? I hope so, replied Abraham. I hope to always obey God. But tomorrow, poor mortal, says Satan, he may accuse you of murder. He who issued the order, he will condemn you for having killed your son. He will condemn you for having obeyed. Will you do it nonetheless? Yes, I shall, Abraham insisted. I shall do it anyway. I must obey him. That is my desire. The Midrash continues. Because Abraham's answer did not satisfy Satan, and in truth, Abraham's answer seems to pose far too many more questions than it answers. Jews read this story each and every year on the holiest day of the year, Rosh Hashanah. It reminds them of the tension that exists between God and humanity each and every day of the week. God commands, 
and human beings need to hear the essence of the command as well as the particulars of the command. The Midrash comes to tell us that perhaps the command we hear is not really the command. The Midrash comes to tell us that all of life is really a test for which we are not always prepared and for which we do not always understand the ending. A Jewish reading of a story that is read by so many different traditions. So the next time you read it, ask yourself these important questions. I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten for Jewish Facts and Jewish Faith, wishing you a good day. Shalom. 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 Shalom.